and all ate and were filled. And what was left over was gathered up, twelve baskets full of broken pieces. Twas the day after Thanksgiving, and up from the kitchen wafted smells of the leavings of Thanksgiving traditions. Pumpkin pie, stuffing, turkey could all be detected. The things that our family had somehow neglected. When the harsh interruption of the alarm clock's beep signaled the end of my late autumn's sleep. I climbed down the stairs, moving through morning's murk. I got out the turkey and got right to work. I set out about making a big turkey stew. The stuff that's left over could feed quite a few. I placed bones and meat into a big pot, so glad that those leftovers would make a whole lot. But the very next day, when I finally arose, a quite different smell greeted my nose. As sheets, blankets, pillowcase started to scatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. The turkey and leavings were still in the pot. The turkey belonged there, but those bubbles did not. I soon sensed the cause of the smell I detected that I'd scented, for that big pot of turkey had somehow fermented. That's a true story, and it's the cause of my Thanksgiving leftovers trauma this year. Normally, like many of us, I have a love-hate relationship with leftovers, but post-Thanksgiving leftovers, as Lee has made so abundantly clear, are in a category all by themselves. Thanksgiving is a meal that's supposed to only get better the next day, and the day after that. And if you do it right, that is what happens. But somehow I had not done it right. I had failed post-Thanksgiving leftovers. And as I stared into that bubbling pot of cold turkey slime, I thought of the Israelite children learning to deal with leftovers. Now, there's quite a lot about leftovers in Scripture, you may recall. Or you may not. (laughs) We'll only get a chance this morning to think about a few of those instances of leftovers. But think of it. Let's start with Joseph, the favorite son of Jacob, who makes a name for himself with leftovers, turning Pharaoh's seven years of bumper crops into insurance against the coming seven years of famine. What's that but a lot of leftovers? Of course, as the time goes by, as we might recall, there arises a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, as Scripture put it. And so the situation in Egypt becomes untenable for Joseph's descendants who had descended into slavery. And so what happens? God grabs Moses to lead the people to freedom, and that works, sort of. But the freedom they find, as you might remember, leaves a little something to be desired. Because the children of Israel, children of Israel find themselves free, but they're hungry. They're wandering in the wilderness. 
and the people begin to grumble about the lack of anything to eat. They say, Moses, you could have left us in Egypt where at least we had stuff to eat. But no, you had to lead us into the middle of the Sinai Desert where there is nothing to eat. Who thought that was going to be a good idea? So what happens? What happens? Well, Moses talks to his best friend, God, and God agrees to provide the people with what they really need. And as Ayah read for us, manna, bread from heaven, rains down on the people as they are sleeping there in the desert, and all they have to do when they wake up is to gather it up. Of course, the first time this manna appears, they're a little confused. They've never seen anything like it before. No one has ever seen anything like it before. Manna? What's manna? You know what manna means in Hebrew? Somebody must know manna. Manna is, your Hebrew is startlingly good, but in this instance, you're wrong. Mana, ma-na, means what is it? Mana, what is it? (laughs) And that's what the people say when they see it. They're like, what is it? True fact. That's what they all say. What is it? But they still gather it up. And here's the thing. There was more than they needed. And they can't resist the temptation to take more than they need. Now, God had been really specific about this point. I'll be there for you, says God. I'll provide what you need. I'll provide it in abundance. There'll be plenty for you day after day. But just take what you need. Just take what you need for that day. Of course, we have a hard time taking just what we need for that day. The people gather what they need, and then they gather more than they need, and when they try to use the leftovers the next day, what happens? Yeah, the stuff had fermented. That was nasty. (laughs) It was kind of like my turkey soup, only with worms added. Yeah, sorry to remind you of that. St. Augustine, that strange but wise 4th century African bishop, says it best. There's enough, he says. He says, see how much God has given to you. And from that, take what you need. The rest is needed by others. The superfluities of the rich are the necessities of the poor. There's enough. What would St. Augustine say to our current debates at tax reform? I shudder to think. Because there's enough. We need to remember what Gandhi said once. There's enough for everyone's need, but not for everyone's greed. So anyway, the leftover thing does not go so well for the children of Israel. Except that it does. Because they learn to trust instead of fear. They learn to give instead of grasp. They learn to share instead of to hoard. Which brings us to Jesus. Jesus, as we read a moment ago together, Jesus is faced with a tricky situation. He sent his 12 followers out into the world to cure diseases and cast out demons and to bring a message of good news, of a different way to live together, a different way to be together, a way he's calling the kingdom of God. 
And they come back and they're all excited about what they'd been able to do out there and what the reaction had been from the people they'd spoken to and healed and been with. Surprise, surprise. The message had caught on. And so people followed to where they thought Jesus might be to hear from Jesus. And it's thousands of people who gather there where Jesus is in Bethsaida. And Jesus being Jesus... He welcomes those thousands of people. And Jesus being Jesus, he teaches them about the kingdom of God, about this new way of being together, living together, treating each other. This way where we realize we're all related, we're all connected to each other, we're all part of each other. And Jesus being Jesus, he cures any who are suffering and need, in need of healing of body or mind or spirit. And all this takes a long time. It takes all day. And the day begins to wear away, and so the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, send this crowd away, because we are, the day is getting late, and they need to go someplace where they can find lodging and get provisions. Because we are here in this deserted place. But Jesus being Jesus, he says, what? You have the words in front of me. He says, what? You give them. Oh, come on. You give them. You give them something to eat. I'm glad you're with me here. You give them something to eat, says Jesus, being Jesus. He says, think about it. You have something. You have something to share. And sharing is contagious, just like grasping and hoarding are contagious. So is sharing. But the sharing has to start somewhere. So maybe it could start with you, (laughs) says Jesus. Actually, Jesus says none of that, as you can see, because you do have it in front of you. But Jesus implies all that, I firmly believe. Jesus hints at that. And so when the disciples come back at him with their inventory of supplies, which is admittedly thin, which is supposed to make Jesus say, oh, okay, I see, there's really not enough. Instead, Jesus says, great good. We're all set. Get them organized. Put them in clumps of 50. They'll be fine. And what else does he do? He says a prayer. He says a prayer. And what does he say in his prayer? I don't know. It doesn't tell us what he says in his prayer. But I don't think he says, God, get me out of this mess. I I really have no clue what to do. He probably says something like, thank you, God, because that's what generally Jesus is saying to God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for bringing forth bread from the earth. He probably says something like, thank you, God, for providing these precious fish from the sea. It's enough. Let it be enough. And was it enough? It was more than enough. Somehow, I don't know how, somehow it was more than enough. And what happened to the leftovers? Well, they gather them up and they put them in baskets, 12 baskets. Nice to be specific. We have 12 baskets of leftovers. And what do they do with the leftovers? (laughs) They let them ferment. Thank you, Shirley. Well, probably, but it doesn't say what they did with the leftovers. We have no clue what they did with the leftovers. The leftovers sit there in Scripture looking back at us, telling us what we should know already, namely, there's enough. There's enough. 
what God provides is enough. The leftovers sit there telling us there's enough. When, there's, when we think there's not enough, there's enough. When we're pretty sure we need more, there's enough. And when we gripe like those ancient Israelites about how little we have, there's enough. There's enough. And what do we do when we realize that there really is enough? We remember other people who might not have enough. Amen? Amen. A former member of our community who now lives in England tells us that today, the last Sunday of the Christian year, the last Sunday before Advent is in England called Stir Up Sunday. Why? (laughs) I was curious. Why? Because of the ancient collect in the Book of Common Prayer that's traditionally prayed on this last Sunday of the Christian year, this last Sunday before Advent, which starts up, Stir up, we beseech thee, O Lord, the wills of thy faithful people that they may plenteously bring forth the fruit of good works. Stir up, O God. There are so many things around us that are stirring us up. I know that. I realize that. We hear in the news that it's the rich and not the poor who need relief. We hear that those who are suffering most from a dangerous world are those who pose a threat of danger to us. We hear that morality should be strictly applied, but only on the basis of political party. We hear that human life is sacred and must be protected, but only to the point of birth. After that, you're on your own. We hear Christianity spoken of in a way that only sounds like thinly veiled white supremacy. I hear these things, and I'm stirred up, though maybe not in the way that God intends. Maybe not always to do something about it. Maybe not always stirred up to good works. I get stirred up in anger. I get stirred up in frustration. But then I try to remember the one who teaches us a different way, who comes to us with a different message, a different way of being together. There's enough, says that one. There's enough to have and there's enough to share. From what we have, we take what we need, and the rest is needed by others. And if we hoard it, it may just spoil. And it is certain it will spoil us. Let's pray together. Stir us up, O God. Stir us up. Stir up in us a righteous anger. And let us challenge the systems of fear and greed that keep us from being the people that you have created us to be. Amen. And amen.